Would you pray with me, please? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Please be seated. Good morning to all of you. It's great to see you. We're continuing today in our Easter season sermon series, uh, looking at Psalms of Joy. And our text this morning is Psalm 67. And I would encourage you this morning, if you would, to look with me at the text of your psalm. It's in front of you in your bulletin, on the second page of your bulletin, if you have it there. It's a nice, short psalm, uh, so we can see the whole thing on one page. And if you look it over, you can see that this psalm has a kind of a sandwich structure. What I mean by that is that uh, it has balanced parts on the outside working its way in. So verses 1 and 2 and verses 6 and 7 at the front and the end of this psalm are the nice thick slices of bread on the outside of the sandwich. Two groups of two verses with a shared focus on God's blessing the blessing that God gives to his people. You can see this uh, in verse 1. The psalm begins with the prayer, May God be gracious to us and bless us. And it ends in verse 7 with the confident assertion, God shall bless us. So there's our sandwich bread. Then working inward, we have verses 3 and 5, the condiments in our sandwich, if you will. And if you look, you can see that these two verses, verse 3 and verse 5, are identical. They both say, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And finally, right in the middle of the sandwich is the meat in verse 4, which gives an even more uh, meaty and filling version of this prayer, that the nations will rejoice in God. So there's the structure of our psalm this morning. And our plan in this sermon is to travel from the outside of the sandwich in, which I think is sort of the normal way to eat a sandwich. Uh, so we're going to look first at the blessing in verses 1 and 2 and 6 and 7, the blessing, and then secondly, at the purpose of the blessing in the middle of our sandwich. So first, <coughs> excuse me, first the blessing. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, the psalmist prays in verse 1. I wonder if these words sound familiar to you. They, they did sound familiar to me as I was reading through this psalm for the first time in, in preparing for this sermon. Uh, that's because they're a deliberate echo of another part of Scripture, of the so-called priestly blessing in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 22 to 27. There, God commanded Aaron and his sons, the priests of Israel, to bless the people in these words, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, maybe you've never heard that blessing before. That's totally okay. Maybe, like me, you've heard it a lot in your life. Growing up, my mom would often say this blessing over us kids as we were on our way out the door. And now, many years later, I uh, pray this over my daughter at night, uh, at bedtime. In the classical Anglican prayer book, this blessing was used in the visitation of the sick, uh, uh, the blessing over the sick believer. 
And I remember that in the church I grew up in, at least, um, it would often be used as the closing blessing at Sunday services. So I've heard this a lot, and I, I love this blessing. And I think it's no wonder that many Christians love this prayer in Numbers chapter 6, because it so clearly and beautifully conveys God's love and care for his people. But at the same time, if we slow down to pay attention to what this blessing is actually talking about, we might be surprised. We might be surprised by what it actually says. Because it keeps talking about God's face. That God will lift his face, or countenance, which is just another fancy word for face, toward his people and shine on us with it. That's the focus of this blessing. Not, may God give you good health, or may God help you with the difficult problems of your life. Not even, may God make you a more wise and patient person. Those would all be good things to ask God for, real blessings. But that's not what this blessing in Numbers chapter 6 focuses on. The focus of this blessing, the thing that God most wanted his priests to pray over his people, is the Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Brothers and sisters, this is the source and the starting place for all the blessings that God gives to his people. That God turns his face towards us and looks upon his people with favor. That's the first and most fundamental blessing that God can give. The face, um, a human face at least, right, is the part of the body that stands more than any other part for the identity of the person. Right? When you see a face, you recognize who it is you're looking at. And so throughout the Bible, God's face is the sign of his personal presence and of his focused attention. And there are a whole bunch of biblical expressions that talk about God's face, about him doing things with his face. For example, in his wrath against sin, God sometimes sets his face against the wicked, meaning that he determines to destroy them. In Revelation chapter 6, on the great day of judgment, the wicked try to hide themselves in caves and in the clefts of rocks to hide from the face of the one who is seated on the throne. But of course, this doesn't work because when God has set his face against someone, there's nowhere they can hide. So sometimes people try and fail to hide from God's face. Perhaps even more terrifyingly, Sometimes in the Bible, God hides his own face from his people. When God's people persistently rebel against him, he sometimes hides his face from us, turning his presence away from us so that we can no longer find him even if we want to. This is the worst possible disaster for God's people, to lose the face, the personal presence of the God from whom all blessings flow. So sometimes the face can be mentioned in the Bible in these terrifying ways. But on the other hand, it can be mentioned in wonderful ways. God can hide his face from our sins. This is one of the ways the Bible describes God's forgiveness, that he turns his face away from our sins so that he no longer even sees them. And God can turn his face toward his people 
Not for judgment, but for gracious blessing. That's what the priestly priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6 is talking about. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's what verse 1 of our psalm is echoing. When God has put away our sins so that they no longer separate us from him, then his turning towards us and his presence with us brings grace and peace. And this is the reality for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, when God looks at us, in a certain sense, he doesn't see our sin. It's not that he's ignorant or forgetful or anything like that. Of course not. He knows all. But he chooses to turn his face away from our sins and graciously towards us. Because he has dealt with our sin once and for all on the cross of Christ. And so when he looks at us, he doesn't see children of wrath destined for condemnation. Instead, God sees sons and daughters whom he has adopted as his own and destined for salvation. When God turns towards us and comes close to us, which he's doing even right now by his Holy Spirit, he's present not to condemn us, but to bless us. Even on that great and terrifying day of judgment, when the Lord Jesus appears again on the earth, his presence for us who believe will be the joyous presence of our Savior, bringing grace and peace. On that day and from that day on into eternity, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we will see him face to face in that personal intimacy that can only come through God's grace. So all of this is the background to verse 1 of our psalm this morning. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. This is the chief and most amazing blessing that God can give to his people. Back in the days of ancient Israel, still today in the church and forever throughout eternity, this is the best blessing that God gives, that he looks upon us with the shining face of love. Not because of anything we've deserved by our own work, but by the merit of his own work in Jesus Christ. We have one more allusion to another part of the Old Testament, uh, another Old Testament text of blessing. And this comes in verse 6 on the other side of our sandwich. So here it is. Look with me at verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. The psalmist here is calling back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, where God promises the people, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the earth shall yield its increase. The earth shall yield its increase, just like in our psalm. God goes on in that passage to list a whole litany of blessings that will come to the people. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give you peace in the land. I will remove harmful beasts from the land. You shall chase your enemies and they shall fall before you. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. I will make my dwelling among you 
and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. In Leviticus chapter 26, God promises that if his people walk in his ways, he will bless them with agricultural prosperity, with plenty to eat, with peace and security. But most fundamentally, the foundation and the crown of all these other blessings, his presence. I will turn to you. I will dwell with you. I will walk among you. I will be your God. All the agricultural prosperity that God promises is to point to this greater blessing. When year by year the earth yields its increase, when it yields its harvest to the people of Israel, this is a sign of God's special presence with them and his care for them. A sign that they're his people, bearing his name and basking in the light of his smiling face. So this is what the psalmist is celebrating in verses 1 and 2 and 6 and 7 of our psalm, on the outside of our psalm sandwich. God's shining face, God's gracious presence. This astounding blessing comes, the psalmist says, to us. God bless us, God's people. But already in these verses, we can see that the psalmist is taking things in an interesting direction. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, he writes in verse 1, that, verse 2, your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. God bless us, your people, the psalmist prays, so that the nations, the Gentiles, the people who aren't your people, may know your salvation. God bless us so that they may know you. Or again in verses 6 and 7, let the earth yield its increase to Israel. Let God, our God, bless us so that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Even as the psalmist celebrates God's unique and special blessing of his own people, the exclusive way that he's present with us, turns towards us and shines upon us, even as he's celebrating all of that, he connects this special blessing to a larger purpose. We've talked about the blessing, now let's talk about the purpose of the blessing, which stands out for us as plain as day in the middle of our sandwich, in verses 3 through 5. Let's read those verses again, verses 3, three through 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Whereas God's blessing in Numbers 6 and Leviticus 26 is for one particular people, the people of Israel, God's purpose is emphatically for all the peoples. God's desire is that people of every family, every ethnicity, and every language group should be glad and sing for joy because they're united under his equitable rule and his loving guidance. 
God's purpose is to bring people from every nation and every generation into his loving presence to live with him and enjoy him forever through Jesus Christ. And God chooses to accomplish this massive purpose through one little people. God brings those who are outside of his covenant blessing in by blessing his people. This was true in the Old Testament, where God made the nation of Israel a kind of living testimony to his saving power, right in the midst of all their pagan neighbors. And it's true in the New Testament, where God sends and empowers his church to proclaim Jesus to all of our pagan neighbors. You can think in the Old Testament of folks like Rahab and Ruth, who were outsiders to God's blessing, but through an encounter with God's people, became insiders. Or you can think in the New Testament of folks like Cornelius or the Ethiopian eunuch, who through an encounter with God's people, heard and believed the word of the gospel. As far as I know, most of us in this room do not have any Jewish ancestry, But here we all are, sitting around, reading Hebrew poetry and worshipping the God of Israel. This is very weird, right? So why is this happening? Well, it's because God worked through his people to get to us and our people. That's the only reason that any of us in this room are Christians. Because God blessed his people for the people's. God draws all peoples to himself by blessing his people. He saves his people. He dwells with his people. He makes his face to shine upon his people so that those on the outside who see what he's doing among us will be drawn into his kingdom and get to know his salvation and his blessing for themselves. When we think about St. Aidan's, or maybe the state of the wider church in our society and our world, I think some of us might sometimes feel like we're only a very little people in the midst of a very big and lost world. But actually, this is how God likes to work, through one little people. God, who made the whole world out of nothing, is certainly able to reach that big, bad world through one little people, one little church, to draw a great multitude to himself through only a few faithful witnesses. He's been doing it already in the history of Israel and of the church, and he's still doing that today. And he does it by blessing his people. So think about that, that the way God is reaching our neighbors is by blessing us. We're not talking here about material blessings. God's plan is not to draw our neighbors to himself by giving us impressive houses and cars and vacations or by giving us perfect health and long life so that they think, oh, wow, maybe I should worship God too so I can get some of that nice stuff. No, that would be a false gospel that would only lead to false faith. God does sometimes give his people wealth and health, and sometimes he doesn't. These are not the blessings that we're really talking about here. Remember, the most important, the greatest and most fundamental blessing, the one that God gives to all his people, rich or poor, healthy or sick, 
is his loving presence, the light of his face shining upon us. That's the blessing I'm talking about here. God draws our neighbors to himself by blessing us with this greatest blessing, by giving us his Holy Spirit, by giving us peace and grace through Jesus Christ. That's what God wants our neighbors to see and to be drawn to, so that his saving power may be known among all nations. When you have a great prayer time, and God gives you a special feeling of his presence and his care, that's great. God gives you that experience for you, because he loves you, but also for your neighbor. God wants to draw them into his presence and his care too. When a brother or sister dies in the Lord and your grief is mixed with peace because you know that he or she is in the hands of the risen Christ, God gives that peace to you because he loves you, but also for your neighbor because God wants them to have that peace too. When you hear a good sermon, as I hope sometimes happens to you, or have a great Bible study, and God gives you some new understanding or new wisdom from his word, well, God gives you that insight for you because he loves you, but also for your neighbor, who also needs to hear that word so that he or she can believe. So I'm not saying that we need to go around uh, blabbing about every feature of our life of faith all the time to all our neighbors. We don't need to do that. We can trust the Holy Spirit to guide us and to show us when it's the right moment to share something or not. Uh, we can even trust the Holy Spirit to make himself visible in our lives um, uh, in ways we don't know about. But my point is that everything God does in our lives and everything he does in the life of this church, he does with a purpose that goes beyond us. It's not all about us. He has a purpose for the salvation of our neighbors and for the salvation of all nations to the ends of the earth. When God speaks to us or comforts us or is present with us, we're not to think that he's blessing us so richly only for our benefit. We're not to think that God makes his face to shine upon us only so that we can hide that light under a basket. No, instead, we're meant to let that light shine before others that they may give glory to our Father in heaven. So it's right for us, it's right for us to celebrate with the psalmist the amazing blessing that God gives us, his people. The blessing of his own gracious presence, his own smiling face. And at the same time, it's right for us to celebrate with the psalmist the amazing purpose for which God is at work in us and among us, and which goes beyond us. The purpose of seeing all nations join together in God's kingdom, to sing with joy in the presence of their Savior. As we close now in prayer, I think we can do no better than to pray the words of the psalmist in verses 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power 
among all nations. Amen.